good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care. And good morning to you. I'm Kathy Kayla. I'm your host for the next hour. And I'm standing on, on Dischem Medical Monday. Thank you for joining me. I'm coming at you from a beautiful 23-degree Johannesburg, but it is absolutely clear and it's beautiful. And hopefully we're going to be a little bit cooler than we were on the weekend. My gosh, it was absolutely boiling. But you know what? When we look around, there is so much beauty around us. There is. We live in the most incredible world. And when we stop and we just take time to admire the trees that are in this full in all their summer colors, the rich greens there, we've had so much rain. I, I stay very near to a park, and, you know, the, they've had to mow the park every week. <laughs> Thank goodness it's maintained. But uh, it's absolutely the most glorious time of the year. Coming up, I'm going to ask two very special guests to join me about uh, what we're going to be talking about today on Diskem Medical Monday. And, of course, thank you to Diskem for sponsoring the show. When we see that there are communicable diseases that are on the rise, not only is it concerning, but it's also concerning when they're entirely preventable. We're not talking about a pandemic and we're not talking about coronavirus or COVID. We're talking about measles. The rise in measles, they, they, they should not, it should not be on the rise. Um, I actually have a, an associate who lost lost a child. He was a teenager, but he, she lost a child, I think it's now three years ago, from measles. And he was vaccinated, which is the crazy thing. So to help me unpack it, to understand what the situation is and why people aren't, why parents aren't vaccinating you know, where's the obligation of the government to protect its population? Can it enforce it? I remember that if I wanted to put my children into school and they didn't have all their injections and vaccinations up to date, the school would not accept your child. When did that change? Maybe you can help me out and you can let me know. When did that change? Do schools still insist on having immunization forms? that are up to date. You want to get in touch with me, you are welcome to. 34519, that is the SMS line. Those SMSs are charged at 1 Rand 50. You can also send me a telegram if you have the app. It's absolutely free. And the number on that is 061-895-1019. I'm Kathy Kayla, and it gives me tremendous pleasure to welcome Professor Lucille Bloomberg, She's an infectious disease specialist. She's a South African malaria advisory group and honorary professor at University of Pretoria. And joining her is Dr. Gary Rubinson. He's a pediatric infectious diseases specialist at Wits University. Good morning to both of you and thank you both for the time. Uh, Dr. Rubinson. Morning, Kathy. And hello, Gary. Hi, <laughs> um, Kathy. How is you? Dr. Rubinson, can I start with you 
How many sure. cases of measles have you seen in the past two years? So in the past two years, confirmed cases are very, very few, um, but um, increasing in the last uh, few weeks. So we have um, at our hospital, I work in um, Johannesburg, we have had, um, I think, uh, two or three confirmed cases. Um, but we, re- we recognize that um, the cases that are being detected at the moment are largely um, not in Khateng, although, um, as I've said, we have, have had some cases here. And we can chat a bit more about that if you want, just kind of where the cases are yes. being seen at the moment. Uh, but also the expectation that they're likely to, um, to some extent, be being missed. Um, and uh, more importantly, very likely to be spreading around the country, if not now, then, then, then fairly soon. Prior to the last few weeks, we had, haven't had any um, confirmed measles cases in, at my hospital the last um, year or two, um, partly because, obviously, of um, lockdown and, and following that, the infection control measures, the non-pharmacological measures that were in place that um, are effective not just against um, spread of um, the, the, the COVID-19 virus, but also against other viruses, including measles, um, and because there wasn't a lot in the country at the time. Uh, but 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 as I mean, the reason we're having this discussion is because the situation is different different now, and we we need to be aware of it, and we need to uh, kind of respond to what's happening at the moment. All right. So maybe you can give us a sense of where are the outbreaks and the ages of the patients, because I think that that would also tell its own story. Sure. So. Um, through much of last year, and I think late 2021 and, and through much of last year, there were lots and lots of cases being detected and diagnosed um, in neighboring countries, particularly um, southern Zimbabwe. Um, and as you and our listeners are, are aware, um, there's, there's, there's fairly free movement across that border. Um, so it wasn't a surprise when um, towards the end of last year, um, cases start, started being detected in those provinces closest to those borders. So at this point in time, uh, as of now, we've kind of got at least, we're coming up to 400 confirmed cases in the country over the last few weeks. Um, the majority of those in Limpopo province, um, to a lesser extent, Mpumalanga, Northwest Gauteng, and, and Free State. But far and away, the majority are, 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 are have been diagnosed in Limpopo. Again, as you would expect, based on um, what was happening largely in Zimbabwe. Right. What are the ages? Of, uh, oh, the of ages. Um, I must actually t- just check on what's so classically um, measles is um, a disease of uh, of childhood, um, but we also know that um, with drop in vaccination coverage that can happen with um, people who kind of leave the child um, childhood years um, without being vaccinated and without being infected, um, there certainly are substantial numbers of um, adolescents and adults who remain non-immune. So at the moment, the age profile at this stage, Lucille, come in if you have a better idea. Yeah. But so predominantly five, children. Five to yeah. eight years, I think, is number one, and then one to four years. And the younger the child, the more chances there are of uh, complications. So the reason that mm. I ask is, you know, when we in a pandemic, not a lot of parents, I imagine, are thinking, oh, my child's due for their, for their injection or whatever, besides which we're in, I don't know, what was it? I get mixed up between the stages and the levels. You know, we, we're in level five lockdown and we can't move. So my child misses their immunization and it becomes something that we just keep missing those. It's not, it's not a concerted effort not to have them. It's not part of anti-vaccinations. 
Lisa, but, yeah, yeah. If I can come in there just quickly, I mean, even prior to um, the pandemic, we were not vaccinating sufficiently. Um, so even before um, those issues that you raise now, um, introduction of uh, measles vaccine into our communities, if it had if it had taken place to a certain definite extent, we would have been at risk for a large outbreak. Um, and then compounding that, as you said, is that those vaccination rates dropped during um, the lockdowns and are coming up, but have not yet come up to the levels they were pre-lockdown. And even if they do, we still know that those are suboptimal um, to completely interrupt transmission of this virus once it starts being um, spread within communities. What are Just the- to add uh, to what Gary's mentioned, Cathy, um, I-, I was in the outbreak unit at the NICD in tw- 2008 um, onwards. And we dealt with a huge outbreak of measles. There were almost 17,000 cases. Started in young adolescents, then spread to all ages, um, uh, children who were vulnerable, who hadn't had adequate vaccination. And there were a lot of admissions to hospital, and sadly a number of deaths. You know, this is a preventable disease. What year was that? vaccines available. Sorry? Do you remember? 2009, 2010. Uh, Seventeen thousand cases. It was it was terrible. I actually that remember was... that, and they and they tracked it down to one guy who got into an elevator in a building. Is that the is that is that the one? Well, and it not just exactly sure it just started. Well, he had just travelled, and he yeah. got into an elevator, and it just spread. It so it'll pick up the vulnerables who are um, unvaccinated, and it's very easily transmissible, much more so than COVID. So one patient, one person with measles will infect a huge number of others who are vulnerable. Yeah. It's very infectious. Lisa, what do you understand about people not vaccinating? Because there are sectors even of our own community, you know, who yeah. who don't vaccinate. I can't get my head around it. But I what, think there what are a number understand? of reasons. Yeah. So one is um, uh, access to, to vaccine. And I think... Um, services that provide it. So that's just really important. That is not an excuse. It is available. Um, it is free in the public sector. So that, that's not an excuse. During lockdown, during COVID, I think Gary's really uh, explained very well, people didn't access the services for lots of reasons. Yeah. The second, I think, is knowledge. Uh, people who just don't appreciate why the vaccine is so important and um, the severity of illness associated with measles. When I worked in the intensive care unit of Baragwanath Hospital some years ago, the commonest cause for admission in, for, um, for management of young children was measles, pneumonia. It was really terrible. Um, and a number of those children died. So they just don't understand why we need to prevent it. Yet there are those who um, think, well, you know, why vaccinate my child when everybody else will vaccinate theirs? They will be protected anyway. But you need really high coverage in a community for your own child to be protected. Herd yeah. immunity needs to be very good, um, and it needs to be really high coverage. And then you also, think people don't appreciate, you need more than one vaccine. You won't achieve really a, a high-level uh, protection or the, you know, what you want with one. You do need to repeat it. And I think until we move out of the um, kind of less than one age group, <laughs> sometimes you know they don't get the the follow-up vaccine. And then there's obviously the anti-vaxxers, um, and that's a whole story for discussion. You know, uh, vaccines are dangerous. They contain various co- compounds that I wouldn't 
you know, want my child to, to um, be exposed to. What they don't appreciate is that measles is a very serious disease, and people, and young people, children, do die from it. So vaccines are safe. They've been very well studied, and um, that, that's really not an argument. But this is a difficult uh, area to deal with. I don't think Gary might want to add to this. Lucille, before I come to you, I actually want to just find out from Gary, what are the symptoms of measles? Okay, so the kind of classic ones are fever and a rash, and often um, accompanied by things like cough, um, running nose, blocked nose, red eyes, um, but, the, but the, the, the main things are fever and a rash. Um, the rash itself is often starts on the face, behind the ears, um, it's kind of reddish rash that may be flat, may be raised. Um, and as it kind of the, the, the person gets more lesions, they kind of start coming together, um, and then the rash sort of spreads downwards and outwards from there. So, in the setting of an outbreak, it's it's fairly easy to to um, once you see a see a person like that. And I'm saying person because it's, it, it, it's, it's, it is children predominantly, um, but. Um, adults uh, may well be presenting too. Um, so, so what I'm saying applies um, not just to people seeing children, but also um, adults themselves. Um, and then, um, so, but when in the absence of an outbreak, and and for people who haven't seen the disease a lot before, it can be quite challenging in that there are a whole lot of other things, both infections and 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 non-infectious causes that can also present with fever and a rash. So that that highlights the importance of, of, of just raising awareness amongst um, parents, amongst um, everyone essentially who's listening, but also amongst healthcare workers, many of whom may not have seen um, cases of measles before. I mean, if they're not thinking about it, um, it's, it, they, they can be easy to miss if, if, if people aren't aware. And um, so, so, so it's essential to also highlighting the importance of confirming the diagnosis. Um, so when you, when a healthcare worker sees a person presenting with that fever, rash, and, and one of those other manifestations, that they must think about it, that they, there's a notification process that needs to be followed, and then they need to spend, send samples through um, to confirm the diagnosis. A lot of different diseases of childhood, of even adulthood, present with rashes. So, for example, we've got the rash for measles, we've got a rash for German measles, we've got a rash for scarlet fever. Does the rash look the same? Is a rash a rash, what I'm asking? Should you always get so a rash are, checked out? So there are certain characteristics that um, help you differentiate some rashes or some causes of rashes from others. Um, there's a lot of overlap. Of the ones you mentioned, particularly German measles, rubella, can look very, very similar to measles. And, and, and it can be impossible um, to tell them apart. But other rashes, I mean, scarlet fever looks um, somewhat different. Chickenpox looks quite different. Um, so there are things that healthcare workers will look for that will help them to differentiate um, measles rash from other causes. Um, but again, just to emphasize, it can be difficult, and therefore further testing is required. And if people are in doubt, they absolutely should be asking for advice. With respect to the question you asked now is, does every rash need to be checked out? No, not necessarily. Um, because the vast majority of rashes um, that children get are not going to be um, serious, and provided the um, child is reasonably healthy, that the rash is not what we call um, non-blanching. So this is something that parents can do at home. Um, so what 
we're talking about is if you kind of press on the rash and the and particularly the rashes that that are different the ones you talk about now but I'm just if you don't mind just taking the opportunity um, to kind of highlight for for parents who might be listening sure. another important cause of a fever and rash is a kind of little pinpoint bleeds um, that people can get um, from from another disease um, that can present a fever and rash called um, meningococcal sepsis there the, the classic thing is when they press on the rash um, the rash doesn't kind of lighten in color, doesn't sort of disappear with what we call blanching. Um, and certainly if um, parents have a child, a sick child who's got fever and a non-blanching rash, um, they absolutely need to be accessing care um, quite urgently. But in the absence of that, in the, abs- in, in the setting of a child who's relatively well with a fever and, and a rash, um, certainly if people are concerned, they should access care. But it's, 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 it's perfectly reasonable um, to, to watch a child like that and, and to have a low threshold. Access in care, so if they're concerned to to, to, to seek it out, um, but the majority of those cases are going to be um, relatively mild, well resolved by themselves, and don't necessarily require um, intervention from health, a healthcare worker. When we see an increase, but, uh, can I just mention this? Sorry, yeah, sure. um, it is important to confirm document at least measles. It is a yes. notifiable disease. That means that every case um, is notified, so that we can get a sense of. Our cases are occurring, trying to eliminate measles. There is, there is a requirement to collect the data and to respond to an increase, which is really two or three cases in a district in a, in a very short period. Um, so it is important to, to, to note, to, to at least confirm and to notify. Yeah. You know, Lucille, I saw that um, the NRCD actually put out a statement last week just cautioning parents that as your children are returning to school, please be very cautious and make sure that vaccinations are up to date because now your children are going to be amongst other children and you want your child to be protected. What's, what, I, what I was thinking about is that if, some, if a parent isn't immunizing their child against measles, they're also not immunizing their child against German measles or rubella or mumps because it's the three in one. That's where you have your immunization. So it's actually three diseases that are uh, communicable diseases that parents are not protecting their children from. Do we have statistics on that? So um, German measles and mumps are not notifiable conditions. Yes. And in the public sector, we actually don't vaccinate against mumps um, or MMR. measles routinely. But that's an MMR, MMR, isn't it? Yeah, MMR is available in the private sector. Yes. There is a plan to introduce rubella vaccine, vaccination into the public sector. But measles is, is the key one to protect against. So that is a routine vaccination as a single uh, disease vaccine in the public sector. So it's different to MMR, but so a single vaccine that covers for measles, which is the one that you know raises uh, concerns about severe illness. Look, I'm sure that anyone who's got German measles or a pregnant woman who's had German measles and the implications of that no, will no. tell you that it's very yes. serious. You know, I'd, it is very serious yeah. in pregnant women who've yes. not been previously infected, um, and hopefully it will be introduced into the public sector. Yeah. But currently. It's a measles one disease vaccine that. Uh, okay, so the truth is that we don't know. So what you're saying is that, or as I'm understanding, is that because it's not reportable, mumps yeah. and and German measles, we yeah. don't really have figures on that. So we we do do um, uh, surveys, sentinel surveys, 
we understand how many women of pregnancy, um, of um, uh, you know, young women are susceptible to, me- to German measles, and it's not a huge number, but it needs to be a routine test um, done by uh, the obstetrician to assess the, um, the, uh, the woman is protected. And certainly if you have a child with German measles, you would not want them to be in contact with someone who's pregnant, and if they were in contact, there needs to be a, a response and a follow-up. But so, measles is really the killer in, in young children. Is, it, ac- is it actually a killer? I mean, how severe does it Absolutely get? Absolutely, it is. I mentioned the ICU admissions. Yeah. Since um, increased coverage of uh, measles vaccine, that is that is decreased. There's also the vitamin A campaigns, which um, are targeted for reducing severity of measles. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, you know, looking at that outbreak that we had in 20, 2009, 2010, there were several hundred deaths, mainly young children, from measles. And that's well documented throughout the world. It's, and, it's and Kelly, to, to, to answer that question, um, at, at, the, at, at the best, a few years ago, there was still estimated that there were just under 100,000 children dying every year in the world from, from measles. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's got worse in the last um, few years. Those numbers are actually going up rather than coming down. Um, so somewhere between 100 and 200,000 children every year still die. Um, somewhere in the world from measles. That's absolutely mind-blowing when you think about that. That is, that's a huge number. You know, I was, I was actually looking up some statistics and the World Health Organization put out some, some statistics that said, uh, between 2020 and 2022, in all of Africa, there were 17,500 cases of measles in Africa. And I thought, well, that's not very high. But what I'm hearing from Professor Bloomberg is that it is actually much higher. I don't think all the uh, cases are notified or diagnosed, so it's definitely an underestimate. Yeah, underreporting. Um, if, if my child gets measles, do I have an obligation to notify everybody else around me? We know that our doctor who's diagnosed it is going to be reporting um, you know, to the NRCD, but what is my responsibility to report to the people around me and the people that have come in contact with my child? Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's all jump for this no, one. <laughs> okay. no, I'm happy to take it. So um, as, as, as Lucille has mentioned, um, this is a very, very highly infectious um, agent. Um, out of all the um, um, viruses and bacteria that cause disease in, 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 in people, it's probably the most contagious of all of them. So absolutely, um, people um, who've been around um, such children um, do need to be notified. Um, children are um, infectious from about a day or two days prior to the rash becoming obvious. Um, so they can transmit it to, and they may already have transmitted it by the time that people um, see the rash. Um, and they're um, at their most infectious for the next few days, so from just before um, and for the next few days afterwards. Um, so, so typically, um, the classic period is uh, people say is from kind of from a day before to about four to five days after the rash starts, hmm. um, and it can be spread in a variety of different ways. So, uh, people who come into any sort of contact with um, with that person um, may be at risk. It survives in the environment for a period of time, even after they've left. Um, so, it's and, and that's and that's why it's so highly contagious. Um, it's mainly spread through cough and sneezing and, and talking and direct contact, 
um, but, but it really is very, very effectively transmitted. Um, so people who are diagnosed need to um, limit their activities, stay home from school and things like that um, until at least um, five days after the rash has started. Um, people who they've been in contact with should be informed. Um, and if there are high-risk individuals who are unvaccinated um, and are immune compromised for one or other reason, um, they absolutely need to be in touch with their healthcare workers um, as a matter of urgency. Because, I mean, it's not common that um, that situation is going to happen, that there's an unvaccinated person who's at very high risk. But it, but it can occur, and if it does occur, there are options around um, using the vaccine itself to um, protect that person um, because because it's that an injected vaccine, um, people will um, mount an immune response to the vaccine um, more rapidly than they will an immune response to the actual infection. Um, so it gives us a, a little bit of a window to actually protect them, even if they've already been exposed. Um, and even if, and there are, there are, there are rare individuals who can't get the live vaccine because of how severely immunosuppressed they are, um, there, there may be options to actually give them antibodies. Um, to prevent um, transmission. Again, it's not um, going to be large numbers of people, but um, if that situation does arise, we would recommend that those people get in touch with their healthcare providers so that we, we can kind of make an informed decision around, around what, what needs to be given to them. I'm Kathy For people who have been, oh, sorry, <laughs> people who are um, healthy and have been vaccinated, their, their risk of getting sick and so getting severely ill is very, very low. I'm Kathy Kaler. This is Diske Medical Monday, and that was uh, that was Dr. Gary Rubinson. He's a pediatric infectious diseases specialist at Wits University. Uh, also joining us this morning is Professor Lucille Bloomberg, who's an infections disease specialist. She's part of the SA Malaria Advisory Group and an honorary professor at the University of Pretoria. If you've got any questions about vaccinations, if you've got any questions about measles, mumps, rubella, absolutely anything to do with measles or vaccinations, please will you get in touch and uh, I will ask your question by all means. 34519 is the text line or 061-895-1019. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Dischem, pharmacists who care. I'm Kathy Kayla. I'm standing in on Diskim Medical Monday and joining me this morning is Professor Lucille Bloomberg. She's an infectious disease specialist. She's part of the South African Malaria Advisory Group. She's an honorary professor at the University of Pretoria. Also joining us is Dr. Gary Rubinson, who's a pediatric infectious diseases specialist at Wits University. And I couldn't have asked for two better experts. We're talking about measles. The cases in South Africa are on the rise. Is your child vaccinated? I'd be interested to know. I'm not standing in judgment. I'm not, but, um, well, I'm not standing in judgment. Tell me why you don't vaccinate. Tell me if you do vaccinate. I remember with my young kids, and I have to come out and I have to come clean about something. Before I had children, I didn't want to vaccinate my children but I did vaccinate my children. And I'm very, very pleased that I did because as I've you know, got a little bit of more life experience, I realized that it was a very, very small aspect that I made a big thing of. And actually it's something that I should have just done and forgotten about, fortunately. Um, I want to know, do schools still 
um, insist on having up-to-date immunization cards because otherwise it can't be only kids that are homeschooled, surely, that aren't getting vaccinated. I mean, do schools mandate that, that you have to supply an updated? I remember with both my kids, do schools still do that? Let me know if you know. 34519 is the text line or 061-895-1019. Dr. Rubinson, I just wanted to ask you, before the break we were actually talking about the who was vulnerable, right? So you have a child who has measles. Who do you notify? Uh, people who are vulnerable need to go for, and what makes them vulnerable, the number one vulnerability is not being vaccinated against measles. But who else is vulnerable? Are there any people who have pre-existing conditions that make them more vulnerable to measles? So yeah, um, I mean there are a few. So, um, but they they make up a, a very small proportion of the overall population, and they would be people who've got um, severe um, immunodeficiencies. So we talk about congenital immunodeficiencies, so um, kind of genetic abnormalities that result in children being born at higher risk for um, certain infections, and they're. Um, a small number of people, but um, they would be at very high risk, and they are, and the vaccine. I mean, again, these are tiny, tiny numbers of people, but the vaccine would potentially be be harmful to them, and so that's why they're at high risk. For people who've got certain malignancies, um, some leukemias, lymphomas um, affecting their bone marrow, um, and such that they are on um, providing immune suppression either from the disease or from the treatment, um, they're at very high risk. Um, people who are on um, high-dose corticosteroids, so on, on oral steroid therapy um, at high doses, um, would be at higher risk. Um, and again, I mean, they're, 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 those would probably make up the majority of individuals who are at, at high risk for severe disease. Um, but if people are concerned, definitely to, to get in touch with their healthcare providers. Um, that's by no means an exhaustive list. Um, but I mean, we, we're talking about, I'd guess, less than one in 10 to 100,000 of the, of the population who, who are really at, 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 at such high risk that, that they're um, if unvaccinated. Uh, yeah, sorry, if, if, if unvaccinated um, can't get a vaccine and wouldn't be protected by the vaccine. If you've been vaccinated, is there absolutely no way that you can get measles? So it, the, these are highly, highly effective vaccines. Again, so as I said to you, measles is a very, very highly infectious disease, but the, the, the available vaccines are incredibly effective. Um, the um, two doses um, further increase the number of people that are protected. Um, so, but despite that, there are um, possibly individuals who are not going to be protected. So firstly, those that are too young to get the vaccine. So children under six months of age will get a degree of immune protection from their, their mothers, but that wears off progressively over time um, within those first few months of life. Um, so in the outbreaks that we saw um, 2008 to 2010, and even more so the, the previous one, 2003, 2004, it's the, there, were, there were very, very young individuals uh, who were too young to be um, vaccinated who were at risk and got severe disease, and we had deaths in, the, in that age group. So we rely on um, everyone else around those sort of babies being vaccinated, particularly their parents, um, to protect them. Um, and... Outside of, of those individuals, there are the, the small numbers of people who have received um, a full course of vaccination may still not test positive for antibodies. 
um, and may be at risk. But but those really are, 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 are very small numbers. Dr. Um, Rubinson, so again, yeah. there's a message yeah. uh, or question from one of our listeners. And if you've got a question, you can send it through also, 34519 on SMS. And... Uh, this is the message. It says, hi, my kids were vaccinated during the last measles outbreak. Do we need another vaccination? I think that's a great question. Thank you so much. So from a routine vaccination point of view, the answer to that is no. If, if individuals are fully vaccinated, they don't uh, need to uh, be revaccinated. However, one of the um, options available in response to a measles outbreak in a country is for the country to decide to introduce a catch-up campaign. So what they then do is it may be, it may be done um, just within a particular area, um, in a district, in a province, but it may be done nationally. Um, and I'm not part of those discussions, but I think that those are discussions that are underway at the moment in South Africa. And if that is the decision that's taken to have a catch-up campaign, then the um, kind of at a national level, then despite being fully vaccinated, the recommendation would be for um, everyone to get an additional dose of the vaccine. And that's partly to protect those small numbers of individuals who may not have been protected from the original course, um, but more importantly, to kind of catch up and to, to, um, to, to essentially mop up the people who are not vaccinated. And to do that, the, the the, the preferred approach is to vaccinate everybody. Again, because it's a highly effective, incredibly safe vaccine, um, protecting against a disease that can be very, very severe and can, can be fatal. So at this stage, um, right now, we're um, potentially going to be moving in that direction. So in, the short answer to, the, to, to, to your um, to the question is at this point, no, those people don't need another vaccine, um, but that may change depending on their ages and the decisions that are taken around what we're going to do as a country. Lucille may have more insight into that situation. Okay, so I'm actually going to go to Lucille now because she's been sitting so patiently and I can see she's been champing <laughs> at the bit <laughs> to just weigh in on the discussion. <laughs> Lots of experience shared. So there, is a, there are outbreak um, campaigns planned for the five provinces. The um, Karting one is, um, is planned for targeting children under five. Uh, in the first instance, those who are most vulnerable to uh, the complications. And um, that really will target all children under five, irrespective of previous vaccine status. And I think Gary explained very well. Um, it's really to, to pick up on those who perhaps haven't uh, responded, you know, as perfectly, but also those who have not been vaccinated. So irrespective of previous vaccine status, um, those um, children under five, will be targeted. The second part of the campaign will be a more national campaign. If the uh, numbers that need to be covered aren't reached in this first outbreak response, there will be a national outbreak, a national response um, in provinces that need to kind of do a bit more. And that will target children under 15 years. How? So irrespective of previous vaccination, um, you can be part of one or other campaign. Professor Bloomberg, how much of a responsibility is it of the government to protect its population? So I think it's a, it's a joint responsibility. I think it's about people who need to ensure that they or their children are vaccinated. And then um, I think, you know, national health authorities, provincial health authorities must take some of the responsibility. And they take measles very seriously. Um, it does take time and resources to plan these campaigns. And uh, that's um, happening at the moment. And it's really up to parents to ensure that their children 
um, are vaccinated during these campaigns. It's not about the blame game. It's about taking up the opportunity and being no, responsible. Right, exactly. So, I mean, I was saying earlier that when my kids went to school, you could not enroll your child in a nursery school unless their immunization mm-hmm. cards were completed, signed, dated, and up to date. There was no way. When did that change? So I'm not entirely sure when it changed. Don't think it's it's a it's a requirement to enter school. Some individual school will um, ask you for your vaccination certificate. Um, I think I'm not sure what their response would be if there wasn't a, a vaccine of whatever sort. Um, there would be a discussion, and maybe it's making people uh, making it accessible, looking at the reason. But I don't think um, a school will is is able to to keep a child out if they're not vaccinated. So there are different reasons. You know, there may be a medical reason, which is not that common, but usually it's um, failure to access a service or they're unaware, and that's, you know, that can be dealt with. And then, you know, the big anti-vaxxer group. Gary, I'm not sure if you want to add to that. Um, no, I agree. I, I think that... Um when you start looking at the constitutionality and the, and the legal aspects, I think denying a child access to schooling based on um, failing to be vaccinated probably wouldn't um, be, be considered legally acceptable. So, um, no, it's not a, it, it would be difficult for schools to enforce it. Um, but having said that, I think it's important for schools to know if they've got significant numbers of un- unvaccinated individuals um, at the school so that if there is a case detected, that they can respond appropriately. And the response required would be somewhat different if there are large numbers of unvaccinated individuals. Um, a kind of a, a, a more effective, a stronger response would, um, would then become appropriate in that sort of setting. So um, I think schools are entitled to know who is and is not vaccinated, but I don't think they're entitled to refuse access to the school based purely on, on, on lack of vaccination. Just on the issue of unvaccinated kids, I mean, and this, I mean, this is something I, I suspect you, you have spoken about before and is not um, something we're going to be able to um, solve in, in the course of this um, discussion. But parents do have different reasons why they haven't vaccinated their children. Um, and it can be very, very challenging for, for healthcare workers to try and deal with those situations. Um, and so if, it, if, if it's okay, just a couple of words on that. So firstly, everyone, and I mean the... National Department of Health, the private healthcare providers, parents in the country, healthcare workers, everyone has the child's best interest at heart. Um, and we may not agree on the best path to, to finding that, and that's where we kind of need to, to, to meet each other. And taking an adversarial approach and refusing to see such, um, such families doesn't really help anyone. Um, and so there's a whole variety of different approaches um, that healthcare workers uh, may take to, to dealing with, with such families. Uh, but but, but the, the, the bottom line really is that everyone is doing what they think is best. Um, some people are obviously going to be better informed than others. People's source of information is going to lead to a situation where everyone thinks they're well informed. Um, well, Facebook, and the I mean, of that information. Yeah, Facebook tells us that we know if we saw it on Facebook, it has to be true and real. Yeah. <laughs> the quality of the information is, is going to vary, um, and the responses need to be individualized uh, because sometimes it, it, it can be as simple as just having a conversation with a family. Other times, it's much, much more effort involved. Um, and just to to to, to appeal to um, to our healthcare workers not to abandon those families, 
because um, the kids are not the ones um, who, who've made that decision, but they're the, they're the ones who largely suffer the consequences. Well, I'm going to ask you both the same question, and I'm going to start with you, um, Dr. Rubinson. Are you surprised at how polarizing vaccinations are? I mean, just think, think about the context. I mean, you know, I send my kid to school. My kids are vaccinated. There's a child in the class who isn't vaccinated. How does that make me feel? Or it works the other way around. You know, it's, I cannot believe how polarizing they are. But what's your thought? So I think, firstly, I don't think it's quite as polarizing as social media would um, would suggest. If you look at vaccine uptake rates and attitudes towards vaccination in South African parents, um, they're actually still very, very high levels of confidence in vaccination. Um, certainly in my setting where, where I'm in the public sector, we have far more families complaining that they take their kids to clinics and the, they don't get vaccines when they want them, rather than they take them there and they um, refuse um, or decline to be vaccinated. So I think if we're looking at what the discussions on social media, you, you will get a skewed idea of exactly um, how polarizing the issue is. But, but having said that, absolutely, there are um, people who are vehemently anti-vaccine. Um, and it's not easy um, to, to necessarily kind of work together to kind of obtain an optimal outcome for, for, for kids in those sort of settings. Um, and I think, I mean, like anything, like any of the conspiracy theories that people are, are, are reading about, um, in a variety of settings, um, these things spread very, very rapidly. Um, people are um, kind of listening for um, contrarian views, and uptake on those things is 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 much much more rapid than uh, mainstream views. And all of those issues are relevant to um, to, to vaccine hesitancy. But but, but just to repeat, I, I, the vaccine uptake in South Africa, by and large, is very very good. And parents' confidence in vaccines is higher than you would be led to to believe based on what you're seeing on chat groups and on Facebook and on on, on those sort of social media settings. Very interesting. So now the same question I'm going to pose to you, Professor Bloomberg. Are you surprised by how polarizing vaccination is or have I got it completely wrong? Uh, I want to agree with everything Gary has said. (laughs) Um, I just have a few extra points. You know, if a child is not vaccinated, there are often very practical reasons to address and quite easy to address. Um, As you said, when they go to the clinic, there is no vaccine because perhaps someone didn't order it. So you need to facilitate that. Then you need to answer some fears or um, questions that parents have to. Oh, I think you've muted yourself. Okay. You have to answer some questions that people raise and you need to be patient and, and address them. And often that will result in an understanding of why that vaccine is important for my child. And um, I think there are many parents who think that, many people think that that measles is gone, but it's not. It's very much part. And as soon as you let go um, and don't have high vaccine coverage, it will bounce back. So I think it's a very small group, sometimes a very vocal group, um, who are true vaccine um, anti-vaxxers. The rest are, you know, easily, much more easily addressed by patients spending time and individualized response. So. It's very interesting. I mean, uh, I think I've even said to you before, polio, you know, parents wondering whether to give their child the polio vaccination. Well, go and take a look what polio does, and it, it really does convince you very quickly of uh, the value of the vaccinations. 
I'm looking at the time and we have we've used up the whole hour and I want to thank both of you very, very much. Dr. Gary Rubinson, will you give us something as a takeaway and then I'm going to come to you, Lusso. So, yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Um, so I think that people do need to um, realize that um, we are experiencing probably the early phases of a measles outbreak in our country at the moment, that it's because of how highly infectious it is and on how low our vaccination and immunity rates have dropped, um, the, that we are at risk for um, a large outbreak, that it is not a benign disease. Um, it's, it can be in, in, in most people. Um, but certainly it carries a significant risk of severe disease and um, mortality. People can, people can and do and will die from it if we don't respond appropriately. And that it is highly, highly infectious. And so that we, 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 we can't be complacent around measles at this, at this point in time. Um, and that far and away the most important part of our response to it is going to be vaccination. And um, so to encourage people to pay attention to their health care providers, to listen to what's being said in the media, and when the time comes to take their kids for vaccination, to do so. And Dr. thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. That's Dr. Gary Rubinson, Pediatric Infectious Diseases Specialist at Wits University, and I hope that your team wins tonight. I <laughs> <laughs> can see your Arsenal badge. Anyway, thank you very, very much. Professor Lucille Bloomberg, can you just give us... To echo what Gary, just to echo what Gary has said, measles vaccines are safe, they're effective, you need to protect your children and the community. You need to be part of the vaccination response to this outbreak and uh, do it now. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. That's Professor Lucille Bloomberg, Infectious Disease Specialist. She's also on the South African Malaria Advisory Group and an honorary professor at the University of Pretoria. And that brings us to the end of this edition of Diskem Medical Monday. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, thank you to Diskem for sponsoring Diskem Medical Mondays. My name is Kathy Kayla, and I'll be back next week. God bless. Have a safe way. Have a safe week. Bye.